I want to remind you, start off with talking about what I, what I ended with last week, and, and then I want to share with you some things about the gospel story. Last week we began a series called The, the Gospel Story Continues, and we really began last week thinking about our past because last Sunday we celebrated our 123rd anniversary. Third Sunday in March, or uh, third weekend in March, 1895, eight people gathered on this property to plant a new church in this neighborhood. And then at the end of that message last Sunday, if you haven't heard it, I encourage you to go back and watch it online. At the end of the message, I shared a challenge with you this year. I said, this year, I want you to think like a missionary and live like a missionary. That's just going to be kind of my challenge for you throughout 2018. And I'll tell you more about that at another day. But I just want you to think in terms of what could God do in your life and what, what could he do through your life if you actually put those two things to practice. If you actually begin to where you live thinking like a missionary and where you work thinking like a missionary and living like a missionary, what difference would it make? Here's the reason I'm going to be sharing that vision with you throughout the year and casting that vision. You see, when you think like a missionary and when you live like a missionary, you will be able to see the change that can be brought about in someone's life by the power of the gospel. That's why missionaries do what they do. Because they want to see lives changed by the power of the gospel. Andrew is an example. Tony Lissetto thinks like a missionary. He lives like a missionary because he is a missionary. And because he thinks like a missionary and lives like a missionary, he encountered Andrea and shared the hope of the gospel with her. Now, so today what I want to do is to help us understand this concept of the gospel and why it's so important to your life and to my life and to this community. The word gospel is a very powerful word. word gospel, it, here's it's kind of a, a working definition. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died and paid the full penalty for our sins, that he rose from the dead and he saves all who will repent of sin and trust him. I'm going to give you that definition again, except at the end of the definition, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just say a good hearty, I affirm that, amen. You don't have to say I affirm that, but just amen. If you have experienced the truth of the gospel, if you've encountered the truth of the gospel, if the gospel means something to you, if this definition resonates with you, I want at the end of it for you just to say amen. So here's here's the definition of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died and paid the full penalty for our sin. And he rose from the dead and he saves all who repent of sin and trust in him. Amen. From the very beginning of the church, they understood the power of the gospel. I want you to open God's word with me in Acts chapter 2. I want to show you this. The book of Acts chapter 2. While you turn, let me give you the context. If you have the little chapter headings in your Bible, it says something like this probably. Mine says, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. Now what that's talking about is that after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and after he ascended back to heaven, then the promised Holy Spirit came to dwell within the believers. And that happened at the Jewish Feast of, of Pentecost. 
And so this is what is, is, is occurring in chapter 2. And as it occurs, crowds are gathering around wondering what's going on because they hear people, this group of people, this group of believers, they're speaking in different languages. Some hear their language, some hear another language, and there, there, all kinds of commotion. It's a very uh, dramatic kind of a scene, and all kinds of things are happening around. It's probably very loud. It's probably very rambunctious and, 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 and praising and all of that. And, and so in the midst of that, this huge crowd gathers in Jerusalem trying to figure out what in the world is going on here. Peter stands up in the middle of the crowd. Now, Peter is the one who just a few days ago before this, had denied that he even knew Jesus. Now he stands up in the middle of that crowd, in front of those same people, in that same area generally. Peter stands up, and he addresses the crowd, and he preached the very first recorded sermon in the New Testament church. Look in chapter 2, verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. I remember my first sermon. Now, this was Peter's first sermon, all right? I remember my very first sermon. You're not going to believe this. My very first sermon lasted about 10 to 12 minutes. Oh, for the good old days, amen? For two weeks in a row now, I haven't been able to finish my message. I'm not going to get through it today. I'll go ahead and warn you. I'm not going to get through it today. I didn't get through it last week. So this series continues to grow because I can't get through the message. But in my very first sermon, I was scared to death absolutely terrified out of my mind. I remember so clearly that little Baptist church I was in, standing here and just physically shaking, trying to to speak a word and thinking I have enough material for three hours and it goes for ten minutes. And when I gave the invitation, seven people walked out, rededicated their life to the Lord. I wonder if Peter experienced any of that, you know? When he preaches his very first sermon, I, when, when he's standing up in front of the crowd that, where he just denied Jesus a few days ago, he's standing up in front of that crowd of probably thousands, at least hundreds, and, and I wonder if, if he physically was shaking like I was on my first sermon. This, this was his very first sermon. and I wonder if his mind was racing like my mind was racing, if his heart was racing and pounding like my heart was pounding. When he stood in front of this crowd to preach his very first sermon, look what he says. He says in verse 14, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Peter says, Wait a minute, guys, I know this is dramatic. I know this is confusing. I know this is loud. I know this is like amazing. But, but I just want to explain to you what all of this is about. All right? That's what he's doing here. Now, now, for the sake of time, we're going to skip through his sermon. Don't you wish you could do that with mine? Okay, let me just fast forward. For, for the sake of time, we're going to fast forward through his sermon. In verse 17 through 20, 21, he's using an Old Testament reference. And at the end of that Old Testament reference in verse 21, I want you to notice what the word says in verse 21. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have your pen or, hand, uh, pen or pencil handy, would you underline, circle that word, everyone? The reason that the gospel is considered good news is because it is for anybody and it is for everybody. Anybody, everybody can turn to the Lord 
and be saved. Anybody, everybody can turn to the Lord and have their life changed. So Peter in verse 21, quoting the Old Testament Scripture, says, and and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's not anybody that's excluded. There's not anybody that doesn't qualify. There's not anybody for whom this is intended. This is good news because it is for everybody. You know what that means? Let me pause here for a moment. You know what that means? That means that the people in your neighborhood and the people in your family and the people that you work with and the people you go to school with, the gospel is for them. Just as much as it is for you. It's for everybody. For anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, beginning in verse 22, Peter explains how that's possible. How is it possible that the gospel is for everyone? Beginning in verse 22, he, he explains how all that is possible. Look what he says in verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, Let me tell you something. As I've studied the book of Acts this last week, I've gone through it about two times, not reading every verse, every chapter, but but, but really reading through the book of Acts about two times this week. And as I have done that, I found something that's just kind of fascinating to me, that whenever someone was preaching the gospel in the book of Acts, whether it's Peter or Paul or somebody else, but whenever someone was preaching the gospel, that sermon usually had, generally speaking, four components to it. The four components of most of the sermons, and sometimes you'd combine two into one, but, but the four components that were in all of the messages, essentially the four components of the gospel is this. Whenever they preached, first of all, they started out by talking about God has done something on your behalf. That this is not something that happened to Jesus. This is something that God did. God has intervened. God has stepped into our world. God has done something on your behalf that you have a need that is so great, only God could meet it. So God's done something on your behalf. The second component of these gospel messages is this. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. Not for his, but for yours. The third component of these gospel messages is this. God raised him from the dead. We're going to talk about that next Sunday, but please understand, it it is not that Jesus raised himself from the dead, but God raised him from the dead. Then the fourth component is this. Forgiveness of sin is available to everyone. Because forgiveness of sin is not based on who you are or what you've accomplished, but forgiveness of sin is based on what God has done when he stepped in, what Jesus did when he died on the cross, and what God did when he raised him from the dead. And so, with that in mind, with those four components, maybe on your notes or at least in your mind, let's read this text again, and would you look for those components? Verse 24, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you uh, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him. This was God at work. God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you By God's set purpose and foreknowledge. God has done something here. God took the initiative. God was doing something. He acted on your behalf. And then look what what else he says. 
God set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Jesus died on, for our sins on the cross, the second component. But God raised him from the dead. There's the third component. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep, hold, keep its hold on him. Oh, I look forward to sharing that with you next week. It is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then, skip down for sake of time to verse 36. Verse 36 says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, there's that word again, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins. There's the fourth component. For the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise who is for you and your children and for all who are, what's that next phrase? All who are what? Far off. Do you, do you understand that the gospel is so powerful and the, the reason that gospel is such good news, it is for all who are far off. All who are far from God. If you are far from God today, can I say to you, it's because you want to, do, want to be? Because God is not far from you. God has done everything that He could to reach out to you. To give you the opportunity to know Him. To give you the opportunity to experience forgiveness and His grace. And, and so let's see what happens. Beginning... Uh, Verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all the Lord our God will call. Verse 40, with many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now I want to tell you something, that is a good first sermon. But I don't know Brad about you, but when I preached my first sermon, I didn't have 3,000 walk down. 3,000 people. Do you know why? Listen, do you know why he had 3,000 people respond? Because what he said sounded like such good news. And it was. It was the gospel. And on that day and in that place, a movement began. On that day, in that place, with that message, 3,000 people received by faith the good news of the gospel. And from that moment on, an amazing thing began to develop. From that one sermon, the gospel story began to go to new places. From that one sermon, that one moment, the gospel story began to spread. It's really quite dramatic to see how the story unfolds. But if, because we don't have a lot of time, I want you to go to Acts chapter 8. We'll skip a few chapters. Go to Acts chapter 8. I want you just to see in this reference how the gospel was spreading. That was, that's the reason for reading this text. How the gospel was spreading. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Now look at verse 4 very closely. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. I love that verse. Those 
who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Do you know what that verse is saying? That verse is saying, listen, listen, everybody hear this. It is impossible to take the gospel to the wrong place. You simply can't take the gospel to the wrong place. Because wherever you find yourself, wherever you go, you'll find people who need the hope of the gospel. Because we're all sinners. We all need a relationship with God. With God. We, we all need forgiveness. We all need God's intervention in our lives. And so wherever you find yourself, you'll find someone who needs the hope of the gospel. And so as these people were scattered out of Jerusalem, as they were pushed out of Jerusalem because of persecution, wherever they went, they shared the hope of the gospel. You simply can't take the gospel to the wrong place. And then, again, just surveying, go over to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 shows us why you can't take the gospel to the wrong place. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Peter is preaching in this text another sermon. His sermons are getting a little bit longer now. That kind of happens the more you preach. And so his sermon is getting a little bit longer. But look what happens in verse 43. Here's what he says. All the prophets testify about him, that is about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, if you like to mark your Bible like I do, I would underline the word everyone and the words forgiveness of sins. All the prophets testify, they speak about him, about Jesus, that everyone, notice that word, everyone, who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Do you remember the old gospel song, the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? I love that song, one of my favorites. There's a part of it that sometimes we don't sing. And in fact, the newer versions of It Is Well With My Soul, some of the newer versions even leave this part out. But it's, to me, the best part. Here's what it says. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. You see, that is the gospel, and that's why it's good news, and that's why it spread so quickly. As the message went out from Jerusalem, it spread so quickly, because wherever they went, they found people who who needed hope. They found people who needed a relationship with God. They found people who needed the message that everyone who believes in Him can have forgiveness of sins. You see, wherever you find yourself, you're going to find people who need that message. That everyone who places their faith in Christ will receive forgiveness of sins. That's why the gospel story is so important. That's why the gospel story continues to move. It continues to spread. It continues to go forward. I was reading a book this week by Denny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary, and Denny Aiken had a statement that kind of shocked me at first, but when I read it the second time, I thought, well, he's exactly right. Here's what he said. He said, the gospel is the good news that God killed his son so he would not have to kill you. Think about that. 
See, we kind of have a sanitized version, and, and I don't mean this in a, in a belittling way, but in Sunday school we learned John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Nothing wrong with that verse. That verse is Holy Scripture. I like that verse, probably the first verse I ever memorized. But when we're little, we don't understand what it means when it says he gave his one and only Son. What does that mean? That doesn't sound that bad. He gave his one and only Son. You know what that means? He killed his son so he wouldn't have to kill you. Pastor, I don't know. That doesn't sound like what I grew up with. Well, maybe you haven't heard the gospel. Because listen, we don't have time to turn there, but listen to Isaiah 53, just a part of it. Isaiah 53, verse 4. It says, Surely he, the prophet speaking 800 years into the future, said there is going to come one, the Messiah, the Savior, and surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows, and yet we considered him, watch this, we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now listen to this verse. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Watch this, watch this. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If that's not enough for you, then you need to go on down to verse 10, where he says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah says, let me tell you what that means. It was God's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. What that means is, God killed him so he wouldn't have to kill you. What it means is, he is the sacrifice. And you can benefit from his sacrifice. You see, I've only got one point in this message, and that's good because I'm almost out of time. Here's my one point. I want you to remember this. I want you to take it home with you. I want you to write it in your Bible. I want you to think about it this week. Here's my one point. The cross of Jesus is our greatest hope. And it is also our greatest message. The cross of Jesus is our greatest hope. And it's our greatest message. I want to end by going to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Verse 38. Acts chapter 13, verse 38. In this text now, we're talking about the gospel story and how it's traveled at this time it's traveled to a place called Pisidian Antioch. Pisidian Antioch is in the, what we would call today the, in, the, in the country of Turkey. So the gospel now has left Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the way across Palestine. The, the message continues to be shared, and it moved all the way up through Asia and all the way over to what we would call Turkey today. So this good news keeps being shared. It keeps, keeps continuing to go forward. It keeps expanding and here's, this is, this is so good. In chapter 13, verse 38, the Apostle Paul is in Pisidian Antioch. And again, he's sharing the gospel. And it says in verse 38, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. By the way, let me stop there. Let me tell you something. Folks, you will never experience forgiveness of sins apart from Jesus Christ. That only through Jesus will you ever experience God's forgiveness of sins. 
So let's read it again. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, through Jesus, watch this, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. I'm, I'll underline in my Bible, and I love these two words, everyone and everything. Do you see that? Everyone who believes is justified from everything. Everyone is justified from everything when you put your faith in Jesus. You see, the gospel is the good news that no matter who you are or what you've done, you can be forgiven. The gospel is the good news that no matter who you are or what you've done, you can have a relationship with God. The gospel is the good news that no matter who you are or what you've done, your eternal home can be in heaven one day. Everyone can be forgiven of everything through Jesus Christ. I think that's why Paul, when he was writing Romans, he summed it up this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's that word, everyone. We've seen it the whole morning, haven't we? Everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is why, watch this, this is why the church that started in Jerusalem, watch this, the church that's the church, singular, that started in Jerusalem exploded into churches all over Palestine. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. This is how the gospel moved from Palestine to places like Rome and Athens and Asia and down into Africa. The gospel story continued to be told because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is why 2,000 years later, the good news that started in Jerusalem when Peter preached his first sermon, 2,000 years later, that gospel story has found its way to South Carolina. Because it's good news that everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved. This is why in 1895, eight people planted a church on this property, in this community, so that they could share the gospel story that everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved. I'm here today to tell you there is good news. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I'm challenging you and I'm challenging me. Why don't we... Think like a missionary and live like a missionary. Because you know what missionaries, you know why missionaries do what they do? Missionaries do what they do because they have the absolute conviction that everyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ can be saved. And so they just kind of orient their life around that one truth. So if they need to move to Cleveland, they move to Cleveland. If they need to move to Boston, they move to Boston. If they need to move to Thailand, they move to Thailand. Everyone who hears the gospel can be saved. What if you did that? I, and if you want to move, that's wonderful if the Lord calls you to do that. But what if you just, wherever you lived, you, you kind of had that same perspective? That you can't take the gospel to the wrong place. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be saved. What if you thought like a missionary and lived like a missionary? I'm just going to warn you. I'm going to push you this year to do that. I'm going to be talking about it all year long. I eventually might get through the sermon. 
I, I'm not going to be talking about this text all year long, but all year long, from different times, different ways, I'm just going to be reminding us, as a church family, we need to think like a missionary and live like a missionary because too much is at stake to play church. The gospel is what matters. And it matters because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. There is forgiveness of sin available through the cross of Jesus Christ. Don't, let's not ever forget that. Jesus didn't die so we could play church. Jesus died so that everybody could have forgiveness of sins and eternal life through him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for making it possible for us that no matter who we are or what we've done, no matter where we've come from, there is hope in the gospel. So excited, so thankful for what you are doing in people's lives and so grateful that what began in Jerusalem, that gospel story continues to be told and the message continues to change lives. God, help us if we've gotten used to that story. Help us if we've kind of gotten over it. I pray it'll sound like good news to us again. News that is so good, we might think like a missionary, live like a missionary. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.